As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. That is Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? High drive! Left field! It is out of here! This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 12 of The Roundtable with Andy McCullough, Mark Carrig. Uh, I'm Grant Brisby. Usually we go through the week and we jot down storylines of fun and interesting baseball moments, whether it's a fantasy football slap or some uh, great game or play. There's nothing going on this week. There's nothing going on this week. Andy, you got anything? We didn't. You got anything? No. I mean, not, 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 no. Mark, you got anything? Yankees still good. Mets still good. Pirates, a little bit less bad. <laughs> so I think, I think what I'm getting at is that we're just going to uh, have a little bit of a riff session here on some things that are on our mind. First off, Andy, this is the first roundtable with both myself and Mark back. You did a, a solo show with one of either of us over the past two weeks. Who was better? Who wins? Who moves to the final round? Yeah, Grant, as I said last week, it doesn't matter. I'm the star of the show, okay? <laughs> the people are downloading to hear this, my strangely high voice that sort of like cracks when it peaks. You both did mediocre. I carried you. And, uh, you know, it's going to be hard carrying both of you this week. No, it was great. Both of you guys were able to get some time off. I'm really glad. And, uh, you like, now that we're all back, there's really nothing going on. Manny Machado's hurt. Mookie Betts is hurt. The Yankees win every night. Like, it's, you know, same same deal. But, you know, we did have, you brought up, all right, you wrote, you have been writing, right? You, you've been working during this whole time. <laughs> So you've you've had to in, come up with stories. Uh, I'm in the same boat. Well, <laughs> yeah, there was some news. I mean, like Lorenzo Cain's career might be ending. Uh, you know, um, he was designated for assignment by the Milwaukee Brewers on Saturday. 
you know, I had written something earlier in the week kind of talking to him. He was sort of aware. It was kind of a, it was an interesting conversation because you know, you could kind of sense like that there was some, there was kind of some sort of subtext and all. He was pretty open about the idea that like he was about ready to, to retire. And he was also pretty open with the idea that it seemed like his time as a Milwaukee Brewer was ending. And there also happened to be this milestone waiting for him on Saturday of 10 years of service time. I didn't exactly put everything together that like they would whack him as soon as he got the 10 years as kind of like a parting gift. Uh, but that's kind of how it went. He got DFA'd on Saturday. And so that might be it. I don't know. He might try and latch on with another team. He's a very, very good fielder still. He has not really been hitting. You know, so it's hard for me to kind of have the proper perspective on this because, you know, like – Lorenzo Cain was a player I covered for a couple of years in Kansas City. He was someone I wrote about a lot in Kansas City. He was probably, you know, the two guys I probably wrote about the most were Eric Hosmer and uh, Lorenzo Cain. When you spend a lot of time writing about people, they take on sort of like an esteem in your mind. And so, like, I know that Lorenzo Cain really mattered to fans in Kansas City. I think Brewers fans, you know, really liked him. But like in terms of his appeal on a national level, kind of hard to say. There's very few players who reach that. But I thought it would be interesting, you know, from your guys' perspective on who fits that sort of category of all the guys you've talked to and, and, and written about over the years. Like someone who you really enjoyed covering, you really enjoyed watching, uh, who may not have such a, a place of prominence in the collective psyche, but does for you, I guess. I read your your piece on Lorenzo Cain and it resonated with me because it like it it was clear that he was special to you in a way that isn't defined by war. I don't how many times did you bring up war in that article, Andy? Uh I mean I yeah, zero. <laughs> it's cuz yeah. it's just you when you're watching someone and and you uh understand their importance to a team and uh and and they're fun to write about, they're fun to watch when they're in their prime. It kind of gosh, am I am I turning into an old head when I'm saying it transcends statistics? Is that is that is no. that old timey speak? Who is this guy? That used to be the reason we watched sports. Like it, it didn't used to be about like winning an argument. It used to be about enjoyment, like generating enjoyment from the thing. And watching Lorenzo Cain was like a pleasurable experience. He's one of you know the most aesthetically pleasing baseball players imaginable. All right, I'll let Mark go first. Mark, do you have an aesthetically pleasing person you've covered from your career? Uh, someone that you uh, really enjoyed covering that maybe wasn't an MVP or Hall of Famer? You know, I thought about this and I had a hard time with it because some of the people that I really enjoyed covering are like household names, you know? I'll throw out a name that used the words aesthetically pleasing. Juan Ligaris got it better than anybody I've ever seen with my own two eyes every day. And it was awesome. When he was, before he gotten all beat up, gotten a little older, he's just a kid running in every wall, diving every single time, leaving his feet every single time, and catching pretty much any ball in the air in center field for a couple of years for the Mets. So nice dude, like easy to cover, but honestly, it was a treat to just watch him play. Didn't need advanced metrics to see every single day this dude taking extra base hits away and being valuable to his team. Part of the intrigue was like he knew that the way he played, there was a shelf life there. My goodness, this guy was like, you know, sacrificing his body um, middle of May, trying to take an extra base hit away from the, from the Marlins. You can only do that for so long. But man, when, when he got up to the major leagues and they're running him out there in center field, 
it was unbelievable. Won a gold glove, I think, in 14. And it was almost like that didn't even <laughs> convey the things he was doing night in and night out. So aesthetically pleasing player that I got to see every day. I thought about it, it was Juan Ligaris. That kind of speaks to there's a couple different parts of the baseball experience as, as an observer or a fan or an analyst where you're watching someone at bat or you're watching someone set up to pitch. And there's that anticipation of here's what's coming. I know what's coming right now. It's going to be uh, an outcome of this at bat, an outcome of this pitch. With a great fielder, it's just it's like a, all of a sudden it comes out like it's like a jump scare. It's like, oh, 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 that thing's going to happen. That thing's going to happen. Ah! thing happened and it's not you're not anticipating it quite as much until it's like crack of the bat now you're anticipating for two seconds and you got it and that's one of my favorite components of, of watching baseball so that's i love a good defender like that yeah i mean i remember game three of the 2014 alds the only playoff game in which mike trout has gotten a hit i think it was albert pujols like hit a like basically a, a single to center field Except Lorenzo Cain caught it like on a you know on a line like he went down and got it and he he burst up you know like pumping his fist and I and I think you know that was like the moment when I think fans around the country first got a sense of like who this player is and I I don't know I don't know I've uh, been writing a lot about the Royals again I need to <laughs> something needs to happen I need you know it's not healthy for me. It's just not like it's just not healthy to live in that headspace and just and write about the 14, 15 Royals all the time. We need something. I will say this, and and since we're speaking about low, right? I think that just as a fan of baseball, is also a fan of like reading writing about the game. And I think the people that I really enjoyed reading were the ones that were able to bring these characters out on the teams that they were covering, and so. You know, while it's a headspace you'd like to not be in, I guess, right now, Andy. You know, that story just reminded me of those those years that you were on the beat in Kansas City because I feel like you were bringing these people to life for, for a bigger audience. And it came at a time when they were getting good. People were paying attention to them. And, you know, you did that. You did. You brought them to life. You, you made them characters. Hosmer, Gordon, Kane, all that whole crew. And when I think about doing the job well right? And, and and being a good beat writer and covering a team. And I think part of it is creating those characters or bringing them out, rather. Getting to know those people well enough that you can bring those characters out, whether it's, you know, that crew that you covered, or I think about some of the more eccentric people that I've been around, like Juan Uribe when he was with the Mets. It was just an insane person, but like it was so much fun because you watched, like it would somehow didn't become tired because it was authentic, Right. So I think it's fun to kind of be around that. It's fun to be challenged as a writer to bring those characters out because it's not like people get access to the clubhouse. That's what you're there for. And to relay it and to do it well, I think is important. And, and when people remember those teams, I think part of it's because there's so many characters on those clubs. Like Eric Hosmer is a good ball player. All right. But also an interesting dude. And you brought that out. So yeah, I think that's fun. And like that's what I kind of went to when we we're talking about. Lorenzo Cain and kind of this conversation in general is that I think that is some of the best stuff to read is when you can bring the characters out. 
Well, thank you, Mark. I had my whole life ahead of me back then. <laughs> I remember one time I was I was arguing with Gerard Dyson, which was more or less every day of my life for those two years. And we were just arguing. It, you know, it's like it was genial, but, you know, we were. he was like, there was something that happened in the clubhouse and I wrote about it and he was like upset. He was like, why would you write about that? And I'm like, that's what fans want. Like, that's what they want. He's like, so you're saying that all fans want to know is what we talk about in the clubhouse and who and what we do away from the field. And I was like, well, not everything you do away from the field, but yeah, like funny stuff that happens in the clubhouse, that's all they want to know. And he was like, no. And I'm like, well, dude, I'm telling you, like, <laughs> this is what people want to know. Those are fun times. Grant, who comes to mind for you? This is a funny segue because when I was covering the Giants for SB Nation and as a blogger, I didn't have access uh, to the clubhouse. I did not bring the characters to life because I knew them. I brought them to life because I made stuff up and I <laughs> I was able to just kind of take these characters and impose what I thought their characters were. And so this might be cheating. He might be too well known, but Hunter Pence was an absolute delight to cover, to write about uh, from my perspective as someone who just makes stuff up for a lot of different reasons. And I, I apologize if this is kind of like me bringing up an ex because uh, he is my ex podcast host. Uh, he was kind of in the previous version of the show. He was the guy. So sorry, guys. Uh, I don't mean to make you feel bad, but he was just different. He was someone who could hit the ball 450 feet uh, at any given moment. He's someone who could run first to home in whatever time is a fast first to home. He's someone who could make a, a huge throw, like all these exciting five tool things. And he did it all very differently. Very, very not Tom Amansky-like. Everything he did <laughs> made Tom Amansky wake up in a scream like he was uh, in a horror movie. So that's my guy because it was, you've never seen anyone like him. You'll never see anyone like him again. He was fun. He uh, had a, a good relationship with the San Francisco fans right away. Everyone was engaged with them. I was engaged with them. He was engaged with the fans. That was a special player to cover. Pretty good. He's bro he's a broadcaster now, isn't he? Uh, isn't he doing those Friday night games? Yeah, he's fancy pants now. He's he's Apple TV. He's uh he's, he's doing well. He's a he's a bright dude. He's a fun dude. He's uh got a long career as a talking head in front of him. I just I loved watching him throw. It just looked like he had separated shoulders and you know hips where hips shouldn't be stuff like that. He had the uh, that that hit that he hit the ball twice in the fourteen World Series. That was three times. It was yeah. It was the NLCS. Oh, and right. If you okay. if you slowed it down, uh, super slow mo, it was clank clank, and then right as it left, clank. So three hits. <laughs> and that ball had a, a spin. I think it was Pete Cosma who was the the shortstop, and he moved the different. He moved the wrong way, and I've never, still to this day, seen a shortstop break the wrong way on a ball that went. It's just a completely different angle. That's if you could teach that, that would be the new model. <laughs> See, that's cool to hear you talk about watching Hunter Pence like that. And this is cheating because it's a household name. But like the one when I talk about or think about, you know, trying to like think of who would I talk about like that, like you described, it's Mariana Rivera. You know, and that doesn't fit this criteria of you know not a Hall of Fame guy. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, right? But Watching him play or pitch pretty much every day was remarkable because I feel like he was probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen. Like everything he did was graceful. He repeated that delivery. His command was so good because it never changed. And like he'd have that, you know, week where it was like, you know, you did your week of, oh, is he old? Is he done? Is he finished? And then he'd come back and like, you know, 
have 10 straight saves and and break a bunch of bats and maybe allow three hits in that span, right? So like it was watching him, you know, and the consistency and the way he approached it. And he was almost kind of this regal figure in there. It was a trip. It was fun. It was interesting, not only because he was good, but like he was just sort of a a different type of guy, especially in that clubhouse. So totally cheating because it's someone who's known, but you know, I want to throw Mariano in there because I feel like that was so much fun to see it, especially near the end. I looked it up. I found my worst tweet about Hunter Pence. August 1st, 2012. High Sox and a 3-3-6 OBP equals a standing ovation for Hunter Pence. I think I was trying to say he didn't get... I don't... Bad. Bad. Like, really bad. Bad stuff. Oh, that's so good. I wish I see. I can't. This is not like Miguel Cabrera for me. I can't just plop in uh, Hunter Pence and get like a tweet that old. It's all recent right. stuff. <laughs> it's all from you the know, past it's, like it's, six it's, weeks. <laughs> it's, it, I mean, it's also like, oh, here, listen yeah, to the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Listen to this podcast. So I'm going to have to bow out of this one. But I do know I played up like this guy's got like, uh, you know, intense eyes. And I play, I played that joke into the ground and. I go back and look at that stuff, especially a lot of the stuff I wrote from McCabe Chronicles, and it just, it rings hollow now that I know him. It's like, he's not that weird looking. It's like, he's a very normal, like, handsome man. It's just, but like... I always felt for a long time, Hunter Pence was covered sort of in the way The Onion wrote about Vice President Joe Biden, you know, like, you know, Diamond Joe yeah. Biden washes car on White House lawn. Like, that was kind of uh, the way Hunter Pence was written about in that era, Yeah. I accept that analogy <laughs> and I embrace it because it was it was a character. I was writing about a yeah. caricature, not necessarily. But at the same time, it was when he would do good baseball things. Writing about the good baseball things was easy. But uh, I actually I asked him once on a podcast. I this was like uh, two episodes in. I said, "Do, do you know ex- exactly who I am?" And he said, "No, you know I uh, I know that you're a fan that 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 got up and you had a blog and then it, you turned it into a career and you hustled and stuff like that." I was like, but you don't know specifically like the things I would write about different players, maybe like even you. He's like, no, not really. It's like, awesome. This this podcast is going to work. And so that was, I was very grateful for that because I do know that there are some people who read uh, what you write and I don't like that. I will, I like them all to be like Connor, just stay, don't read. I don't exist. I'm not important. I make not. I like jokes. the idea better if he's like, yeah, you know, you were a fan. You wrote for, uh, you know, Lookout Landing. You know, you're a big Mariners guy. <laughs> like, no, I, hey, I am not. You're a big tall guy who, you know, vaguely sounds like <laughs> Anthony DiComo. It's like, no, I am not Jeff Sullivan. <laughs> Thank you. I looked up a Hunter Pence tweet, also terrible, from August 20th, 2016. Hunter Pence has looked much better since breaking up with DJ Tanner. So this is a Fuller House reference because he made uh, apparently a cameo and I must have watched it because I suck. So yeah, there you go. We're playing Hunter Pence tweet game. There is my submission. I am also embarrassed. Did he date Did he date DJ Tanner on the show? I guess. I, I mean, according to my Twitter, he did. We have to probably draw this one out a little bit more. So let me just give a lightning round of just... Players that are aesthetically pleasing off the top of your head. I had a backup in case you yelled at me that Hunter Pence was too well-known. Yasmero Petit. Oh, yeah. Yasmero Petit. He is a guy that I... I mean, it's it's kind of almost trite to say, like, oh, he doesn't have the big fastball. He's he's brains. He's not brawn and stuff like that. Those pitchers are fun as hell to watch. Um, I loved Yasmero Petit, and I loved the idea of... 
a reliever who you can just throw out there three innings four innings that is such a, like a good arrow to have in the quiver and whenever you come out to hold a one-run lead and then your team took the lead in the third fourth fifth or sixth innings I just love that aesthetically having that player and then having that guy who was good enough to be that player when he was at his long man prime you know I'll, I'll uh kind of play off of that Nestor Cortez is like that uh now with the Yankees because he's he's got the guts of a cat burglar you know, like he's got his stuff is what it is. And yet for a while he was getting insane results, but like he's challenging people. It's crazy. Like I don't, I can't imagine standing on the mound knowing that I don't have like this fastball that, that pretty much everyone else can harness. And he's out there trying to do the same exact job and get these guys out. Dudes who are trying to hit the ball in the air and out of the park. And he does it, and it seems like he's just totally unafraid. So, like, I don't know if it's aesthetically pleasing per se. I just think, like, the idea of it is insane. And um, I can't even, like, conceive of trying to do that. To be that short, you know, as far as just, like, straight-up velo or whatever, and to do that is pretty fun to watch. Mine is in a similar vein. It's maybe a little too obvious, but Rich Hill. I mean, the guy sits... 89 miles per hour. He used to get up into the 90s. He's a sensitive subject. Don't bring it up around him. But, you know, he sits 89. He mostly throws curveballs. He, you know, has spent like 10 years in the total wilderness. He's played for 11 different teams. He swears like a sailor on the mound. And then the other four days of the week, he has like the comportment of like a substitute gym teacher. You know, his nickname was Psycho Rich and Dick Mountain. I mean, there's just li like... Everything you'd want in a character is there, um, you know, as in, and then watching him play was just always enter very entertaining for me. What's the all-time list on here? These are people we've covered, but, like, are there people that you guys just watched even before you were covering things that would be on this list of, like, yeah, I'd watch that dude again? Because for me, it's Will Clark. I'd just watch him swing. Well, every time Will Clark had a bat in his hands, took a cut, you're looking at a dude who was, like, it feels like he was put on this planet to be doing exactly that. Like, it was beautiful. You know, he'd, he'd whiff and just be like, wow, that was pretty. In that, if we're going to extend our circle to, to Hall of Famers and stuff like that, I wish I watched about 700% more Tony Gwynn because I watched plenty of Tony Gwynn. But I just I, that's one of the baseball reference pages I can stare at um, and just and go, man, how much fun was that? And I wasn't necessarily paying attention when he was like a super fast runner and had, you know, a, a five tool uh, kind of arsenal. But Tony Gwynn is someone I, I wish that I could just rewind and watch a little bit and go through that whole experience again. Because like I, we have talked about here, I love the high average players. It's just like baseball events going out in the field. And I, I love that stuff. So Tony Gwynn would be my guy. Roy Halladay for me. Just because, like, there was just a straightforwardness to what he was doing, right? He threw, it was like four pitches, everything came out of the same chute, and it nothing was straight, you know, and it just, he just threw hard basically every single time he attacked people, he didn't walk, you know, he just carved up lineups. I mean, he was just like, you know, it wasn't the sort of, you know, you watch like Corbin Burns now, or, you know, guys who are like real high octane type players right like there's a there's a surgical nature to it but this was like almost uh it was almost more relentless because he was generating contact and the bats were quicker and you know the innings were quicker and there was just yeah i don't know there's something just ferocious about watching him that was you know i always enjoyed he probably threw the best game i've seen in person it was like a one hitter in toronto against a really really good yankees lineup 
I remember looking up in the eighth inning, he was at like 78 pitches. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so that straightforwardness you're talking about, like he took it right to him. And, and I feel like that's a team that scored a bunch of runs that year. And he made them look so bad. He pitched the saddest game I've ever seen, I think. Uh, was game five of the 2011 uh, NLDS against the Cardinals when he lost to Chris Carpenter one nothing. I think he gave up a he gave up a run maybe in like the first inning and then like struck out everyone after that and Carp pitched like a you know a shutout. Ryan Howard blew out um, running on the last out and the team you know was never the same. And I just remember going into the Phillies clubhouse. And Roy Howard just had his head in his hands, you know, like inside his locker for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It was just like, it was like, whew. it was just, it was heavy. It was heavy. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. 
Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com/baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm not John Thorne. Like, I can't tell you if that is definitively the worst way to end the postseason series. Uh, but that, to me, is the worst that I've ever seen in any sport. You have the fans and they're like, it's over. And also, franchise player is writhing on the ground like you're trying to process five different things at once, and I mean, you you couldn't know it at the time, but that was that was that was the, the end of the Phillies. That is a, such a, a bananas demarcation line between because the Phillies to that point were the Phillies, like they were just like one of the best collections of talents you've ever seen. Halliday went eight innings, uh, one run, seven strikeouts, 126 pitches. Yeah, they lost. Oof, that's a tough way to go. That uh, is a tough one, boy. Wow, this is going to oh be really – that's going to be really tough to segue into the Golden State Warriors <laughs> or NBA champions. <laughs> and yeah, Mark Mark is a Golden State Warriors fan. I am a Golden State Warriors fan. So we had to get that in at least for a, a little bit because it allows us to talk about dynasties. This was a – uh, something that you had opinions on, Andy, and I do too. First, we can all agree the Warriors. I mean, they're a dynasty. They uh, they have nice little bookends. They're, they're still going. Uh, one of the, the best sporting experiences of my lifetime. I don't know about yours, Mark. I can't believe that they're like a dynasty after watching them for 20 years of being not a dynasty. In fact, they were awful for most of it. I Does mean, that awful. include the last so... two seasons where you weren't watching before this one? <laughs> well, okay. So that, you know, I, I was watching... Like it's harder to do that. Oh yeah, very very you know tough. Yeah, stink. really tough. But like, no, I mean, I read our coverage. Thanks, but like, watching them as a kid, right? Like they were that team that like they'd make the playoffs, but you knew they weren't gonna go anywhere. Like they just didn't have enough, right? Like not with like the Lakers in the, in, in West or whatever. So it's insane to me to go from that to this. I think it tells you a little bit. We talked about ownership a lot here in baseball, right? Um, I think the Warriors are a classic example of that. They went from an owner who was not very good to, you know, owners who have a plan, clearly, you know, have, have set some kind of culture and it makes a big difference. So it's like hard to conceive of, of the Warriors being talked about as some like model franchise, because if you grew up in the Bay Area and watched those teams after they traded Chris Webber away, Right about there. And then Latrell Sprewell chokes out PJ Carlissimo. And what happens after that? Oh my gosh. Like, it's just, it's hard to conceive. Did you ever read that Bill Simmons history of the Warriors? It's uh, 
uh, even for for his standards, it's like you know eight thousand words or something. It is just and it goes through and it's 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 actually really 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 well done because it's talking about okay here's Robert Parrish you know here's Joe Barry Carroll and it's like it's just all the hits over the years and the hits and the dings and and it's like it builds up and then this is before they got good again so it's just like hey you know you gotta you gotta give it to the Warriors no one suffered like them I don't want to turn this entirely into a basketball podcast it's a lot of fun for me right now but yeah no it's hard to believe that they're a dynasty and that leads us to baseball dynasties and the idea of do they exist what does it take to be a baseball dynasty does anyone care about the concept of a baseball dynasty andy you had thoughts i will throw it to you i would be curious to know if you guys have a threshold where a team reaches that point because i feel like the only club there hasn't been a back-to-back world series winner since 2000. The only club that really, I think, can argue that they fit that classification, right, is the is the 2010 to 2014 Giants. But if, like, say the Dodgers win the World Series this year or the Astros win the World Series this year, do they tip over into, like, you know, how big does the gap have to be given that we know how much variance is involved in the postseason. There's more variance in baseball than any other sport. You know, so like if the Dodgers who've won the division eight times in a row, then made it then won 106 games, they won a World Series, they've been to three World Series in that time period. If they win again this year, is that a dynasty? Or the Astros who've won the division, I think, every year since 17. They've been to the World Series three times. They've won it once. They may have some other things have happened during that time period. I sort of forget. But like if they win again right? Do they count? I'm, I I don't know. I, it's something that really never comes up in baseball, probably because like Get Up, the TV show, never talks about baseball. But like, <laughs> I think it's interesting at the very least. Like, what is the threshold? But you said it at the beginning of that, in my mind. It's if you can repeat, because I think repeating is so incredibly difficult. You know, and obviously there's a lot of luck involved. It's baseball, right? Like there's variants, like you say, but I mean, is there a harder challenge? than to repeat like i saw i grew up in the bay area like i knew dynasties because you know what the 49ers were a dynasty um and you heard those guys say it all the time the hardest thing was to do it again and they did so to me that's like step one right and maybe that's too old school a definition kind of given how things have changed and and you know obviously a little different now but i don't know the first thing that pops into my mind is like can you do it again just because i feel like repeating is probably one of the hardest things to do in all of sports aside from just winning one is to do it immediately after you know when you've already satisfied that hunger and you're trying to do it again feels like it's very very difficult at the risk of being excommunicated from my little internet community uh, i will argue that the dodgers are already a dynasty I will, oh, I will argue because with, oh, base, with baseball, look, it's not basketball where you've got five starters and you, ha- you, can, you can go through your stars and there's a very, if the Warriors are the better team than the Celtics, you have an idea of how it's going to go. There are very few Warriors versus Jazz where, oh my gosh, how did that eight seed beat the one seed, right? That's just not how it's, it works. And uh, football very much the same way where you, you know, you're trying to push each other around a field and whoever pushes each other around the best is, is going to win. Baseball's just too random. So I'm going to look at the whole body, the whole 162 games, getting there, winning a pennant counts a hell of a lot in my book is winning a pennant is no small feat. Go back to the days of the shot heard around the world. The Giants lost that World Series, but they won the pennant, and that still meant a hell of a lot back then. I'm sort of erring towards that now. And the Dodgers, the 90s, early 2000s Braves, yes, they only have one championship. 
but you knew that they were going to be there every year with a different all of a sudden they found this guy they plugged in this guy they have these guys doing the their best all along and it's so reliable so consistent in a way that baseball usually isn't that consistent even during the regular season and to build that team that is just going to win division after division after division get to the world series that to me is a dynasty Maybe that's too spicy of a take, but I don't think so. I, I think that's like a baseball dynasty. You have to adjust for sport. I think that's a slippery slope, Grant. I mean, because then, okay, so then, you, then the Astros are a dynasty. Uh, I didn't bring them up because they're problematic. <laughs> uh, perhaps, uh, you know, perhaps like I, 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 I would listen to that argument that honestly, like I, I joke about that being problematic, but it is hard to tease out like, how did they get that one World Series? I will say one World Series gets you into the conversation if you get to surround it with a decade of, of good time. Okay, so the Braves have won their division four years in a row and they won the World Series. Is that a dynasty? No, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna need some uh, hundred win seasons in there. I'm gonna need a string of them. You know what I mean? The Dodgers haven't just won the division; they've just obliterated the division. So I am hedging a little bit on that. Well, yeah, but like the Rockies are in their division. I mean, what? Come on, like what? what are they, they doing? play Coors Field. Like Coors, <laughs> that, that's a nine games a year, nine ten games out of every year. That's gonna be murder. I don't get agitated by uh, fake arguments. But you are starting to agitate me. Yes. This is a terrible take. Yes. Uh, it's, it, you just can't. You can't. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, wait, wait, wait. So are the Braves right now analogous to the Dodgers in what they've done over the – like they're totally – they each have one World Series. They've got a few division titles. Or is there not a way to separate? Where the pennants at, right? How many t- pennants for the, in this Dodger run? I think that's a, that's a difference. Look, obviously they're better. Like, I, you know, obviously they're better. I do I think you have to win – at least more than one in order to be in the conversation. You have to. Yeah, I just, I, it, it's tough for me when people say, oh, the Giants are obviously a dynasty. Yes and no to me, because I covered it, but at no point did I ever think any one of those three teams was dominant. They needed, they had daring do. They needed a little bit of a good fortune here and there. They won it in very different ways. 2010 is Lincecum is the ace. 2012 is Lincecum in the bullpen. 2014 is where's Lincecum? I don't know. And so it's it's not quite the same core. That's not all that different from those Yankees teams. Really? Okay. So maybe I just, I just watched them just so mad at them. The 2000 Yankees won 88 games. Like, you know, they, their whole thing was that they, you know, they won in the postseason, you know, because they were built to win, baby, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> um, you know, they had Joe Torre. What more do you need? I don't, I don't know. Mark, break the tie. I'm curious about what the NHL definition is because they actually do say that so-and-so team is a dynasty. The Edmonton Oilers, they have named a dynasty. The New York Islanders in the early 80s, the league is named Who's a dynasty. Who's they? The league. Like the league refers to these teams, these parts of these franchises, dynasties, the, the um, Montreal Canadiens. Does that like get their members like discounts on Bush Light <laughs> well, or something? Yes. Or what? Like, like, on, what? on Molson. You get Molson <laughs> yeah, half what price. Is that? What is like it's get? dope, like, man. Like, yeah, like you have free, free like, tickets. It's all. Yeah, no, you, get a, like, you get a free Labatt if you're a member of, the, of a dynasty. Man, I hope there's a Canadiens fan out there right now just furious. With Andy, like no, just swearing is, in French. A, this is a baseball insult. podcast. They the don't insult. have a team anymore. So, you know, I, I think it's multiple championships. I'm going to stick with like, if you can repeat, that's a big one. So we haven't had a dynasty in a really long time. Maybe we never have one again, unless we redefine it. Because I think, yeah, the, the playoff 
consistency that's really impressive but like the divisions are five teams it's not like back in the day where like it was eight you know that makes a big difference now that said dynasties were a little different back then because half the league stunk like badly okay like they just were either poorly run teams or just didn't have the talent combination of all of it you know like there were teams that were literally farm clubs for others right the kansas city and new york back in the 50s like it was they were just there to supply the yankees with talent so that's not necessarily the world we live in anymore i don't know i just i feel like the most obvious one is repeating right multiple championships division titles are nice and pennants like i think at your point grant pennants are good but you've got to do it more than once and if you do it consecutively and you have all those other things you've won divisions and pen, like then that's dynasty talk. So the Yankees obviously back in the day were, but like we really haven't had one since. I mean, I I might count the Giants because like that's a lot of winning um, in a small window. You know, and yeah, like maybe the teams weren't dominant, but like you still got to give them credit for actually doing the thing three times. And there were players in that run that you could identify with. And maybe that's one for me, as much as it pains me to say. See, I go back to maybe I'm, maybe there's too much recency bias with the Dodgers uh, right now. So I, when I think of the Braves of the '90s in early 2000s, like, do you not think Dynasty? Do you not think that they hold a special place in baseball lore uh, for having uh, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz for doing what they did for winning? I don't know what it was, like 11, 12 division titles. To uh, you had Hall of Famers popping in and out. It, it, so if they're not a dynasty, are they just? A special team like it was at the desk is there just no word for that i mean they were special like i mean i i remember turner field they put all the pennants out in left field and, and i was there a lot right covering the mets and like it was just really impressive to me to see that many flags up there like it was really really impressive and yet i feel like if you were to pull the average baseball fan hey what about those braves teams from the 90s you know what they'd say only one championship there's not even a question that that's what they would say and so on one hand, like, dude, I really respect what they did, the consistency they showed and all that. But if we're having a dynasty discussion and literally every baseball fan, you know, even Braves fans might say that, only one. Like, it's hard to put him in that category. I don't know what the word is for that. It is impressive to win that much that long and to have those types of players pass through. No doubt about it. Not to take anything away from it. But man, what a weird legacy that is to have. It's the refrain that's almost universal. Wow, one World Series. Wow, you know, like, and it's not a compliment. So, right, right, right. It's an insult. <laughs> Strong. You mentioned uh, legacies, Mark, and uh, because there's just like no way, you know, because I've just been, uh, I'm on the elliptical in the morning, and so I'm watching a lot of uh, like hot take TV on mute and uh, trying to figure out what the what people on TV are talking about. It seems like there's been a lot of discussion of like Steph Curry's legacy. And then somehow, like, there's discussion of, like, somehow Kevin Durant's involved. I think he and Charles Barkley have been fighting for, like, three weeks or two months or something. And I'm just, what I'm wondering is, like, there's a lot of discussion in, in, you know, like, with quarterbacks in the NBA, like, individual players' legacies. And I was trying to think of who in Major League Baseball even has anything at stake in that regard anymore. Like, I feel like Clayton Kershaw for the longest time had that. He was the the guy, right? Like he was the person who was like the the main character of the postseason. I think now that the Dodgers have won a World Series, that he was a you know vital contributor in that. He sort of no longer fills that role, but like the sport doesn't really have that. I think 
because there's you know Mike Trout sort of absolved because of all of the you know the fact that he plays on the Angels. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander have are the pitchers comparable to Kershaw, but they've never really occupied that space. I guess what I'm wondering is like who is the next player who's going to get to the postseason, and there will be a discussion about that player's legacy in the process. Mm, that's good. I, I would guess it would be based on as of this recording, 50 and 17 record. Literally any member of the New York Yankees making more than like 10 million dollars would be in that discussion. Yeah, like Garrett Cole or Aaron Judge, basically. Yeah, I think that. It's wild to me that that franchise doesn't have a single player on it that won a World Series there. Think about that for a second, right? Like, the, given their history and the types of players that they've had through the years, I mean, when was the last time do you think that happened? I, I think I tried to look this up, and I got back to, like, 1970 or something like that, where there was literally not a single player on the roster that had won a World Series with the Yankees. So that's a good call because I think Aaron Judge actually said this recently. You know, having covered him, like, I feel like this isn't just a thing he says. I think he means it, where it's like, we've done nothing. Then he's talking about that that core group, the young guys that came through, and then Stanton, like, we've done nothing. And he's kind of right. You know, with them, like, doing something is to actually win the thing. It's kind of remarkable that there's not a single player in that room that knows what it's like to go up the Canyon of Heroes. So that that is a very that's a great call. Um, Judge Cole, the big money guy, Stanton. You know, I definitely agree with that. I used to when the Yankees were winning all those World Series in '98 and 2000 that I was really just annoyed at the Yankees and their fans for caring, for trying, for actually winning it again because I thought you already have one, you already have two. Yeah, why do you need a third? Like, it's greedy. It's it's all, I, I despise their fans for it. And what I, I've grown to appreciate as I get older and uh, wiser is that uh, it is, baseball seasons are long. And the failure of one isolated baseball season, you have put 500 to 1,000 hours into that season of failure. And then the next year you have expectations if that one doesn't work, you've put 500, 1,000 hours into that season. And so by the time you're a Yankees fan in 2022, you get to be annoyed. You get to be like, it's not, oh, come on, you just won back there in, in the late 2000s. What, what, come on, you look at the Mariners. They haven't made the postseason since 19 dickety do. And with the Yankees, like, no, I get it now. They get to be annoyed. And for as high pressure of an environment as that is, it's it's remarkable. And so Judge is right when he says we haven't done anything because in the minds of the people they're trying to entertain, that's what they think too. Well, the good news is, Grant, is they're like winning a playoff series away from being a dynasty team. So that's good. <laughs> like if they can just – if they can get by the, the, the wild card game this year, Grant will be like, oh, yeah, it's a dynasty. No, team. they're not the same thing as the Dodgers or the Braves of yore. It's very different. Is this a stance like you trying to get some sort of like street cred as a non-Giants homer by picking like <laughs> the anti-Giants no. as a dynasty? Listen, the uh, Dodgers, well, Dodgers fans do love me. You know, I just going to call it the Drysdale Chronicles. Well, they should. Here on Wait, out. did Dodgers fans actually dislike you? They should no, love they, you. You're a really like great empathetic writer. So like, no, I don't, yeah, I, anyway, Do, no, Dodgers fans do like me. No, I'm de dead serious. Yeah, they should. Uh, but it's, it, I'm not trying to be contrarian. I just, I think that there is a spot. <laughs> a, I think the dynasties are in baseball. It's, I don't know. I guess multi, I will agree. When I thought you were saying consecutive uh, repeating, Mark, I was thinking back to back. If you are including gaps within the years, I will agree that 
one more championship. I will concede the point. At least two championships in that stretch to me, as long as it's not uh, two and three years and then a bunch of misery all around. Like if the Orioles had won two and three years when they were up, that's not a dynasty. But this extended, if you take the Braves, give them one more championship, take these Dodgers, give them one more. I That's my that's my final concession. Well, to your your point, right? You're talking about it being somewhat disjointed. Like, look at the Boston Red Sox. Like, we've been talking about the Yankees and the last time they won a championship was 2009. Look how many of the Red Sox have won since then. Is that a dynasty? There's dips. Yep. There's no connectivity, it felt like, right? The Red Sox are experienced too much uh, polarity. Like, they're really good and then they're, like, awful. Like, the Yankees have not been awful uh, at any point in this stretch. They also haven't won. So, like, I don't know, which would you rather have? Yeah, I think I'd rather have the Red Sox. Like, I think, I mean, as much as I enjoy a good regular season, and those are important for mental health, like, I think it's the, the Red Sox, you get the, the full gamut of the baseball experience. This is one of my favorite things about, because I'm a dork, and, like, I remember reading about the A's a lot as a kid. This is really interesting. Like, so they've had dynasties in Philadelphia, like, way, way back in the day. They also led the league in last place finishes during that time. Right. So like they'd be like for like four or five years, be the best team on the planet. And then for like 20 years, be absolutely horrendous, <laughs> you know. So Connie Mack, like Hall of Famer, I think, like has the most last place finishes from any manager ever. Something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. I think I go with that. You got to have at least one championship. And then there's there's kind of a freedom in those bad seasons where you get to watch some guys and go, you know, think like, oh, maybe this will be a part of the next good team. And there's like a different kind of baseball fun. So I'll give me the baseball variety. Yeah, I'll take a good baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't want to bring Bobby Valentine in for one fun year? Well, I mean, if I had to watch it every day, like I would rather have – well, I guess it depends. Am I watching it or am I covering it? If I'm covering it, yeah, I'll take Bobby V for a year. That sounds like a good time. Uh, but if I was like watching it as a fan, yeah, I want the team to be good. I want to know that they're going to be there in the postseason. I want to feel invested. I want to feel like I have a reason to turn on the game tonight other than because I like baseball. Because, you know, at this point, like there's other baseball games on too. You know, if you have Peacock or uh, MLB.TV or HGTV, uh, Apple. Or, oh, HGTV is awesome. Yeah, their coverage Don't is fantastic. Is there, Don't knock are there it. baseball games on HGTV? No, no they, like they, the go programming's in, great. they go into each other's uh, stadiums and they fix them up. Yes. Yeah, so you see the Oakland Coliseum <laughs> one, the Oakland Fixer Upper? It's awesome. Yeah. Oh, this is a podcast. Joe and Chip, like, pulling it aside. Like, oh, look, there's, there's a home for the rats. It's great. Possums. You know? uh, oh, we fixed the plumbing. <laughs> yeah, possums. Great. Oh, this is a podcast, so you can't see the look on Andy's face, but it is quizzical. It is a quizzical. Oh, yes. uh, he actually cocked his head like a Labrador. Just like, what the f- you guys talking about? <laughs> he went hot take Andy today. That was awesome. Like, he, uh, on the That's elliptical, he's like. All, That's as hot as all. This is hot as he gets. That's spicy. It's spicy. Moderately spicy. I'm fascinated by by Get Up. I think Get Up is like the most interesting television show uh, uh, like running because they have talked about how Tyreek Hill said uh, Tua is a more accurate passer than Patrick Mahomes for a month straight. Like they've talked about – and it's like – and I keep looking and the Chiron keeps saying the same thing and it's like – you know, Tua says, uh, or uh, excuse me, Tyreek says Tua is more accurate than Mahomes. And I'm like, man, they're doing it again. And it's like, all right, now it's Tuesday. And I'm like, I'm on the elliptical. You know, I'm, I'm grinding it out. Like, I'm doing fake exercise because I'm fat and my knees, you know, can't tolerate running, right? And then it's like, oh, it's Wednesday. And it's like, 
Tyreek says, you know, Tua is more. And I'm like, they're still talking about this. This is great. Like, what I want, and I don't have it on because I have headphones on. It's on mute. It's like, it's riveting. Like, I am just, I'm riveted every day. As a casual football fan, like, I'm only tangentially aware of it, who any of these people are. I mean, I know Mahomes, but uh, yeah, that doesn't appeal to me at all. I'd rather talk about uh, position players pitching. I guess that's why I'm it's here. It's funny. No, I'm hooked by that. Like, what a ridiculous statement to make. It's great. What a but, like, ridiculous they talk about it every statement day. to make. Like, that I love is it. crazy to me to say yeah. that. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's asinine. Anyway. That'd be like saying this podcast is better when one of you guys isn't here. It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that's just madness. No, last week was pretty good. All right, but this has been episode <laughs> 12 of the roundtable. Uh, we will be back next week, and we'll we'll just uh, jabber a little bit. And baseball stuff will happen over the next week. I promise you that. Uh, we, we all clear about that. Some baseball stuff's going to happen. It's we're going to hope. All right. We will see you then. Thanks so much for listening.